Welcome to episode 72. Have you heard the word comorbidity in the news lately? Do you know what it means? If you do know what it means, do you know what you should do about it? I've had a lot of questions about what this means in response to some of my social media content. They're like, but what actually is that? And so, on this episode, I want to share with you exactly what a comorbidity is so you can know if you do or don't have one or many. And I'm going to give you five tips for those that do have comorbidities so that they can do something about them. And hint, hint, there's going to be most of us that fall into this category that need these five things. So, in order to know what that's all about, let's dive into this episode. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Good to have you here on another episode of the show. It is my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy lifestyle that they truly want by the end of 2020. And being in isolation for most of that, which seems likely for most of us, especially here in Australia and the countries heading into winter, when is a better time than right now to look at your health? Because what is the number one reason that you haven't given your health the attention it deserves in the past? In my experience, and anybody that runs any kind of health business, they're very familiar with this. And the number one objection is not money. It's not I can't afford it. Most people say, I just don't have enough time. And now, now everyone has an abundance of time. Home workouts are going gangbusters and a capacity to buy an abundance of food every day is also a good thing, especially when you can go under no pressure and just pick the right food. You're not in a rush to get to the kids' sport. You're not in a rush to get off to go and do whatever extracurricular activity you'd love to do as much as I too am missing normality. This is a great time to focus on developing some super healthy habits, which is exactly why we're talking about this stuff today, comorbidities, which is really important. Speaking of food, throughout this episode, I'm going to share some information on the Quit Sugar Summit, which is a free week-long event kicking off on April 27th. More on that soon. So, I wanted to talk about comorbidities and coronavirus or COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 or whichever uh, variation of description works best for you. I wanted to talk about it because the word comorbidity has been thrown about or comorbidities thrown about in the media a lot, Um, whether it be a part of the fear-mongering process, whether it be um, actual useful information, uh, you know, that's, that's... it's really hard to tease out what's what's not just, you know, media hype and bullshit and what is truthful and whatnot. But comorbidity is one of the things that keeps cropping up and people often write this word off or don't really hear it properly because it sounds a bit like medical jargon. And I've even had uh, friends in the natural health space unfamiliar as to what the word comorbidity means. Now, I sort of am a little ignorant to the fact that, um, you know, this medical jargon is unfamiliar to some people just because it's part of my normal everyday day at the hospital, I hear this word hundreds of times a day. But 
I have been made aware that this is a confusing term for a lot of people. And so, just like I do on the podcast with lots of different topics, I'm going to do my best to communicate to you what comorbidity means so that next time you hear it in whichever news bulletin or whichever coronavirus update you hear, you can actually understand the implications of what they're communicating about. And so, I want to go through a little bit of what a comorbidity is, what it means, um, why people are considered comorbid. I want to talk about why comorbidities worsen your prognosis or diagnosis in the coronavirus context and any health context. Um, and then I want to jump on to the top five things you can do to reduce your comorbidities. Okay, so we're going to start from the top. What is a comorbidity? So, the truth is that there's actually a lot of definitions of this um, and you'll find a lot of the definitions are different across different streams of mainstream Western medicine. Psychology has their own version, neurology has their own version, uh, but the hematology as well, all of them, infectious disease. But depending on which literature reviews you pull up or which articles you pull up, the general consensus is the same overall. It's just the vernacular that is um, executed in slightly different ways. Um, And so, one way that it is put is a comorbidity is a related or unrelated pathological issue or disease other than the main one that you are presenting with. So, what does that mean? (laughs) So, put it this way. So, say you go to the doctor and you have coronavirus, say, which in my personal opinion, which is in no way medical advice in any way whatsoever, just protected myself there. Um, If you go to the doctor with coronavirus, for most of us, that really doesn't mean much at all. Okay, most of us are going to be totally fine. Um, Just the same as the flu, most of us will be fine. It's just the same as the common cold, most of us will be fine. There will always be a very tiny percentage of the population, often, often that are elderly and have comorbidities, that will be a problem, which is again why I'm communicating what comorbidities are and what you can do about them today. So, say you go to the doctor, you got coronavirus. If you have a comorbidity, you might also have a related or unrelated health issue, disease, illness, infection, right? So, you've got coronavirus is problem one. Say you're also 30 kilos overweight, comorbidity. That's a comorbidity in comparison to the coronavirus. The coronavirus is, say, in this instance, is the primary issue why you're at the doctor. You have an inf- a viral infection and you are comorbid or you have a comorbidity in being overweight, okay? Because that additional problem, which is unrelated to having a viral infection, arguably unrelated, is is there therefore making your immune system more compromised, right? So, it means that your ability to respond, your body's natural systems of immune modulation, immune response and defense systems are impaired because your body is already on an unnatural amount of stress and problem because you have 30 kilos of stored food energy on your body, which increases um, a group of functions that are necessary to operate your body with all of this additional weight, right? And that's usually unhealthy weight, okay? It's not going to be the good good kind of fat. It's definitely going to be when we're that far overweight, we're definitely storing the wrong type of fat and it means that we're putting all sorts of toxins into our body on a very regular basis. So, 
Say, say that's comorbidity number one, right? So, if you're overweight that much, you pro- it's probably pretty likely that you have some type of insulin resistance, okay? And that is going to put you in a pre-diabetic category and arguably many people in that category that are, or that have been sitting there for some years or decades are already a type 2 diabetic, so there we go. We've got a couple of comorbidities. The comorbidities are of you go in. Remember, you've gone in. You've got coronavirus. Comorbidity number one: thirty kilos overweight. Comorbidity number two: you have type two diabetes. See, these are two things that your body is working like hell to try and change every single day, but isn't changing because it can't keep up with your fork. Right? Your metabolism and your uh, immune system cannot keep up at the pace of your fork and your behaviors and your daily activities that cause the problem in the first place. So, it's pretty simple, really. A comorbidity just complicates the process, complicates the healing process, essentially makes it more difficult for your immune system to function in a way that would otherwise be optimal. And you can, like, we, you know, cancer patients at the hospital usually have heaps of comorbidities, right? They might have uh, lung cancer and that might have led, the drugs that are used might have led to liver failure or they might have a bone marrow transplant that has, has led to other problems happening in the body. Again, remember, depending on the definition of comorbidity, it can be related or unrelated, right? So, you know, in the instance of being overweight leading to type 2 diabetes, you could say that those are related comorbidities. But you can also have somebody that's got a situation where they break a leg, but also get a brain tumor, arguably unrelated, right? So, but they're still comorbidities. So, it adds a huge amount of pressure to the immune system and to the body to the point And the more comorbidities you have, the worse this situation is to the point that your immune system begins to just get immune modulation and immune management totally incorrect. And then we can go down the path of autoimmune diseases. Um, You know, the, the dysregulation of your immune system just leads to absolute chaos because that is the driving core force of returning your body to a state of health. And if your general state of being is, you know, being overweight is putting toxins in every single day with, you know, different types of crappy foods, then Unfortunately, you're throwing curveballs at your metabolism in a bad way every single day. The occasional curveball, and my clients are familiar with the metabolic curveball, the the occasional curveball is not a bad thing, right? Because we don't want to cause plateaus or adapt to a particular situation if we're on a health journey. But throwing curveballs at your immune system every day means it cannot, like, for for want of a better description, it can't tell which way is up. And so, it just begins swinging in the dark, essentially, because there's so much shit going wrong everywhere that it no longer understands what a healthy body looks like. So, when you hear the words in the news, um, comorbidities make your prognosis or diagnosis or health situation with coronavirus or any illness, I might add, or any infection worse, this is what it means. It means that if you have any pre-existing issues or other issues that are occurring at the same time, it means that you are going to take longer to heal. It's going to be harder to fight. Now, this is not to scare you. I'm not sharing this to scare you in any way. This is not news. The coronavirus did not bring comorbidities to the news for the first time ever and modern medicine and alternative medicine have gone, (gasps) Oh my God, comorbidities make health worse. (laughs) This has been known since the dawn of time, right? So, please don't respond to the use of this, uh, you know, fear-mongering about comorbidities as anything out of the norm. Now, please don't take that as me suggesting you should 
do anything about it, right? What I'm saying is you shouldn't respond in fear to them saying if you're in, you you have any health issues that you should that you're just doomed, you're just fucked, right? Because that's not the case. I'm not saying that, and I don't want you to feel that when you hear these messages communicated via the news. That's why this pod, that's why I'm doing this podcast to clear up one what it means, because knowledge is power, and then I'm going to give you five responses to mitigate your comorbidities because knowledge is power but it's actually just potential power, right? We need action in order to turn that uh, potential power into actual power. So, I'm going to give you five responses to mitigate your comorbidities towards the end of the episode. Now, the other thing I want to clear up is that why why people are comorbid. And now, this should be pretty obvious by now, so I'm just going to bang through this pretty quickly. Why are people comorbid? Simply because their diets, lifestyles, and habits do not favor optimal health. It's that simple. It's the same reason you might as well ask the question, why are people overweight? Or why do people have diabetes, right? The number one cause by an absolute mile is that they have poor eating habits. It's that simple, right? And it's the, you can argue the same thing. Remember, um, you know, the same with cancer, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is being referred to commonly now as type 3 diabetes, which is, again, comes back to a relationship, an unhealthy long-term relationship with sugar and carbs, okay? Refined sugar and carbs. Not just that, but also the frequency in which we put them in our bodies, okay? So, the point is, it's... Why do people are comorbid is simply answered by why are people unhealthy? Behaviors, belief systems, and the actions that they do every day that is not in the best interest of the operation of their body. All right, so five responses to mitigating your comorbidity because if by now you've sort of thought, shit, I actually do have a comorbidity. I'm 10 kilos overweight or I'm, a, you know, I'm, you know, not very active or, you know, I have trouble sleeping or, you know, I, I, I never feel really that well or I get sick quite often, you know, multiple times a year. Like if any of these things are starting to pop up and you're starting to think, oh, shit, I am someone that has a comorbidity or multiple comorbidities and that would make healing from coronavirus or anything else more difficult and a longer journey and more challenging, then these five responses are going to help you. And you might have heard them before and you might feel that they're too simple, but they are essential to making this change. Okay, number one, sleep. Right now, again, like I mentioned at the start, sleep. We get to sleep in. We don't have to get up and get on public transport or navigate our way through the traffic. Most of us right now get to sleep in right up until we get up. Obviously, if you've got kids, it's slightly different. But what I'm saying is that now is your opportunity to actually figure out a sleep schedule um, that, that reaches seven to nine hours. There, It's been published a bunch of times, particularly by Professor Matthew Walker, who's arguably the face, the modern day face of sleep. He's written a bunch of sleep uh, texts and novels and books and whatnot based on his research from his laboratory um, and they're phenomenal. But the point that I want to make from his research is that he shows that genetically that it is a very tiny, tiny percentage, less than 0.1% of society that can actually survive without any neurological reduction in function on less than seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Lots of us brag about the fact that we're like, oh yeah, you know, I, I only need six or, six a night or five a night and I'm good to go. The reality is it's your brain that misses out on the sleep. So, you can't consciously notice yourself having cognitive decline. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like chicken and the egg. Like you can't actually witness yourself having cognitive decline because the brain that you witness yourself with is the brain that's cognitively declining. <laughs> so, 
If you're a human, well, you've just qualified for needing seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Now, little tip, if you are not getting that and you've been getting, say, five hours sleep for 10 years and you're like, I can't sleep much longer, it's a progressive, it's like going to the gym, progressive overload over time builds muscle. So, it's the same with your sleep. So, what do I mean? So, if you're doing five hours right now, for the next week and a half, you're going to try five hours, 15 minutes. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Boom. <laughs> Baby steps, one tweak a week. Then the next week or the next fortnight, you're going to try five and a half. Then the next fortnight, you're going to go six, right? Then after that, seven. Hey, you get the point. The point is that we need to rebuild that muscle because over time, the part of the brain that actually facilitates that deep sleep begins to atrophy, begins to die. So, you can't just get a massive night's sleep and get into a new habit overnight, especially if you're over the age of 40, right? So, you actually need to regrow those brain cells. You actually need to re ignite and engage that part of the brain to start entering those deep sleep cycles. So, number one is sleep. Number two, and this is pertinent to the Quick Sugar Summit, is number two, reduce sugar and refined carbs. Anything in a bag, a box or a can is highly likely to have all sorts of added stuff into it. And if you read the label, you'll see a long list of added ingredients which are predominantly bullshit in the context of your biological body, right? So, we want to reduce sugar and refined carbs and we do that very easily by simply eating whole real food. Most of the time when it comes to diet, most of the work is done by simply removing the wrong choices. You don't have to go and find the most organic thing you've ever found in your whole life and be like, right, I have to eat this. I hunted this myself in the you know, Amazon jungle and it's the most untouched thing on the whole planet by a man. <laughs> you simply just have to start making better choices. And there's a spectrum, right? If you're at level zero, which is like fast food is every meal, then you just need to take one step. You need to make one baby step to eating one meal a week that you make at home, right? Or you, or you order that from a restaurant that actually serves decent food, however you work, right? Because I definitely have worked with uh, entrepreneurial clients that pretty much order every single meal. And so, in that case, it's just learning how to order better, right? And identify what on the menu is actually not ideal, Okay, so the point is baby steps. If you're at level zero, 
take one step forward, replace one meal over the you know the next couple of weeks. If you're say at level five and you actually say cook everything, but you're cooking lots of hearty meals, then we want to move one to two of those meals per day uh, across to being a low carb meal, right? Or a um, a low processed and refined sugar and carb meal. So we're talking whole real food. And then if you're at level say eight or nine and you're eating amazingly with pretty much everything, then we really want to just get technical with the macronutrients, okay? But if you're anywhere below level eight, you don't need to even be thinking about macronutrients. You've got to make the first step in context of where you're at right now. So, the big one here is reduced sugar and refined carbs. Three, breathwork meditation. The best thing that you can do for stress and anxiety, which unfortunately, if you're a human listening to this, you live in a world where stress is being pumped into your eyes, ears, and skin every second of the day, especially in this coronavirus, I don't even know which word to use, debacle. Let's go with that one. Saga, that's another good one, (laughs) right? It used to be 20 years ago, And that was before I was even old enough to drive a car. But 20 years ago, um, you know, I remember if something was going on in the world, actually 20 years ago, I pretty much remember when 9-11 happened, right? And I was in primary school, high school, I don't know. Um, But the point is, I remember I woke up. It was the first time my parents definitely said no TV in the morning. Like, we don't do any of that. And so, it was the first time TV was on in the morning. Like, holy shit, 9-11 happened. The world had shaken. It was the first time I'd ever woken up and heard the news and gone to school knowing what had recently happened in the world. There was a bit of discussion at school, you know, between people. Nobody had phones then, so we couldn't check information. We couldn't get new information. And then... We weren't, you know, Googling stuff wasn't really a thing then either. Jeez, I'm starting to feel old telling this story. <laughs> but the point is then we get home and it was pretty common in my house and my family that the, you know, 6 p.m. news bulletin would be on. So, let's say 20 years ago for someone in high school, I heard the information maximum twice a day, right? And say my parents, you know, probably bought a newspaper as well. I know my dad definitely used to buy The Age a lot back then. Um And we used to get the Herald Sun delivered as well, two major papers here in Victoria, Australia. And, and, you know, so for them, morning news on that particular day, nightly news and two newspapers. So, let's say four times they, they had exposure to that event that day. Now, now, literally, we're hearing about it every single sentence, every Google search, every time we open our phone, not just every time we open our phone. See, I open my phone and I'm probably like every other human, Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, you know, you bounce between a messenger and not a, so for every phone open, I've accessed, you know, two to five apps of which I've got different groups talking about this stuff, right? So, my point is, my point is I'm trying to get really clear on the fact that we are injecting fear, stress, uncertainty and just absolute anxiety for, you know, the future of humankind depending where you sit on the uh, the argument about all this. Just, there's so much fear and, and just anxiety-inducing stress that we need to introduce breathwork and meditation because we are stimulating our stress response just an absurd number of times per day. So, how do we do that? Breathwork and meditations. Meditation can be simply found on YouTube. You can download, you can download meditation apps. There's heaps of really good ones that co- the annual subscription is like 50 to 100 bucks. They're phenomenal, right? They are phenomenal. I highly recommend a bunch of different, like 
just just Google it. I think you can't. I can't really recommend a specific one because I think to me, with my hypnosis and meditation, it's really important the accent and the voice. So you've got to feel really calm and and comfortable with the voice that you're listening to or the music you're listening to. Just googling. Um, uh, or downloading any tracks that are simply just nature sounds is a good way to start. Breathwork, Wim Hof, phenomenal, right? His breathwork isn't necessarily hugely relaxing, but very, very good for immune function. Um, heaps of different breathwork patterns. I have Maddie's Mindful Minute, which is the four, seven, eight. So breathe in for four, hold it in for seven in your diaphragm, not in your chest, and then release it slowly over eight seconds and repeat that for at least one minute at least one minute, you'll start to feel so relaxed. And, and if it's, you're new to that, actually do it sitting down because you might get a bit tingly from the additional oxygen, which is super good for the function of your immune system, I might add. So, point is, breathwork meditation, lower your stress levels, right? And this is not just coronavirus relevant. This is forever relevant. Next one, you probably guessed this was coming. <laughs> Intermittent fasting, right? Intermittent fasting and water fasting. But I don't really encourage water fasting for anyone that is not experienced with it because you really need to um, build your hypothetical fasting muscle before you uh, throw your metabolism in the deep end, let's say. Um, so, intermittent fasting, why? Because it gives our body a healthy relationship with food and the digestive process. And as, a, as well, because most people are eating high sugar and high carb foods, then it gives our body a time, a period of time each day to regulate our insulin, which is the a fat storage hormone that spikes whenever we eat. And the the height in which it spikes is different for everybody with different foods, but generally speaking, the more sugar and refined carbs we put into our body, the higher that insulin will go. Now, the problem with, say, type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance in general is that people are putting in high sugar, high food, high carb foods too many times a day, insulin stays high, we eat too late into the night, it, you know, st- it stays high digesting our food overnight and then we wake up super early after not enough sleep, like six hours sleep and we're back into eating breakfast like cornflakes again, right? High sugar, high carb again, 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 always a problem, right? Um, I should refrain from saying always a problem. Carbs, I'm not demonizing carbs, I'm just saying that the vast majority of people consume far too many of them too frequently, which I don't think is something that is up for debate in most health and medical circles. I think most people would agree with that. Um, There's definitely healthy carbs. Absolutely, you want to find healthy carbs in whole real food. But intermittent fasting will let our our digestive hormones fluctuate up and down. It will let our gut microbiome uh, reset if you do it the right way and put the right foods in upon doing your intermittent fasting as well as uh, having the refeed process, which is something you should work on with a practitioner. Uh, Understanding the refeed process will help deal with your bloating all of this will facilitate fat loss if you do it correctly, but fat loss should never be the focus. It should just be a symptom of getting healthy. Next one, pretty obvious and one of the only things we're allowed to do right now, get out and exercise, okay? We need that blood flowing so, so good for health, right? And intermittent fasting, I didn't mention this, but exercise also produces a thing called autophagy and intermittent fasting does this as well. And autophagy helps essentially clean out the bullshit from our cells, right? You've probably heard me talk about autophagy before. It's that one of the main reasons that I'm such a massive advocate for intermittent fasting, especially in a world where everybody has pretty much, you know, just waiting for their disease diagnosis, their chronic illness. We're in a world where everybody has that happen. But autophagy can be a massive player in actually seriously 
adding some years to your life where you don't have a, uh, I was going to say comorbidity, where you don't have a chronic disease, which becomes a comorbidity later on for whatever other health issues you get, but it just allows us to clear out the crap that we wouldn't otherwise clear out. Think of it in a really basic term, say the lining of your gut, right? Say you've got the front frontline guys in a war. Like they're just getting hammered with bullets all the time and you actually never have a period of time where you stop eating or digesting long enough to replace the guys on the front line. Yet, you still expect them to hold up the defences because they're the front line. But they keep getting hammered with bullets. So eventually, guess what? They're going to die. But they're still on the front line. So unfortunately, we need, you know, we've got these sick guys on the front line that actually can't help our immune system function properly. And so intermittent fasting and exercise actually increase autophagy, which allow us to clear out some of the bullshit out of our cells and recycle some of those cells as well. Exercise is obviously good for heart health. It's good for your muscles, especially while we're sitting around doing nothing. A lot of people moved around in their previous jobs. So, you know, we want to stimulate the use of our muscles so that they don't begin to atrophy and just shrivel up, right? (laughs) So, super important uh, for all sorts of aspects of health. So, get outside. There's so many home workouts on YouTube right now for free. If you're not doing them, start right now. And the fifth one I want to mention, so I'm recording this podcast at night and my screens on my computers are virtually completely red. They're on a sleep setting. Um, I use an app called Iris. And so, that's why number five for me is blue and white light management. So, all the lights in my bedroom are actually red globes, okay? And yes, to my neighbors, this place does look like a brothel. Not open for business. (laughs) But the point is that the lights in here are red because the blue and white light that goes into our eyes, that we look at on our phones, on street lights, on the lights in our house, on the lights on our TV, they actually tell our brain that it's not nighttime yet, okay? So, if you think about the light as if it's the sun, right? And the sun tells our body the up and down of the sun, known as like the circadian rhythm, uh, our body's response to the 24-hour period of night and day. The sun actually tells our brain, and our uh, which uh, dictates our metabolism deep in our brain and, and all sorts of bodily functions. It says to the, the brain, it's daytime, we need to be awake, we need to be alert, we need to go and find food, we need to function, right? And so, let's say, you know, we're all in different places in the world listening to this, but you're you know, your sun goes down at six and then over a two to three or four hour period, depending on your body, what happens is melatonin, which is a sleep hormone, slowly starts to come up and you start to get sleepy, right? This is a scenario where there's no unnatural light. So, the sun's gone down at 6 p.m. and you're starting to get sleepy towards 10 and you're ready for bed, right? Because you, your, body, your body hasn't absorbed, your eyes have not absorbed blue and white light. So, your brain's like, oh, it must be nighttime, okay? It must be time to get our rest, repair and digest function on during our sleep. Fast forward to 2020 when shit is just up shit creek and <laughs> we've got blue and white light absolutely everywhere. We go to bed at, say, 11, 11 p.m. and we put our phone down at 10.58. We've just pumped our brain full up until that exact minute that we close our eyes with blue and white light. So, what does that mean? Two to four hours later... And that'll be finally enough time for a melatonin to creep up and be like, oh, it's nighttime. So, even though you're physically asleep, parts of your body and your brain are not yet asleep because they only received blue and white light at 11 p.m. So, you might have been physically asleep for eight hours, but you may have only got four hours 
or you know, roughly two and a bit sleep deep sleep cycles of restorative rest and repair. So managing your blue and white light intake is essential, and you can do that by getting some blue blockers. Uh, I can actually chuck a link down below if you want to access some blue blockers. Got an affiliate link which would uh, which helps the podcast grow uh, if you want to jump on that. But blue and white light management by getting some blue blockers by making sure you've got uh, red light filters on all of your screens. So my computer right now is is bright red. My phone is bright red. The lamps in my office and my my bedroom and my uh, bathroom right now are all red globes so this is how you can go about it and it trust me it makes once you're adapted to it in the beginning you'll be like i can barely see the screen give it a week it's all you'll be able to look at at night and if you see a light even on its low even when i accidentally turn my phone setting to uh might turn the red light blocker off on my phone by accident when it's on the lowest setting on a night setting as well it still is piercing to me but before I started this several years ago, I, I turned the red light on and I was like, I can barely see the screen. So trust me, your eyes will adjust. Your eye muscles will adjust to this and it will be much more favorable and it will make going to sleep. Remember, point one was optimizing sleep. This will make optimizing sleep far more effective because you'll go to bed without as much crap going into your ocular cavity and you will be able to get to sleep far quicker. So I think... Those five things are going to contribute massively to the reduction of any comorbidity you have, coronavirus or not, right? You want to be reducing your comorbidities or your current problems. And the time is now because right now in the world, we have time. We're all at home, we're all in isolation, and we're unable to get out to go and do you know, our usual stuff and be overrun by the rat race. So please use this time to start implementing some of these things. Sleep, reduce sugar and refined carbs, breathwork and meditation, intermittent fasting schedules, more exercise, and blue and white light management. Oh, and I've got a sixth one for you, (laughs) which is going to play into your stress, which I already mentioned. Number six is tune up your bullshit meter (laughs) Bullshit-ometer, let's say. (laughs) What do I mean? I mean, reduce the mainstream media that you consume. There is just so much crap out there and they put out so much content every single day. I know here in Australia, the numbers couldn't be further from scary, but they do such a good job at making you scared of one more case today. One, can you believe it? Oh my God. Like, it's just ridiculous the way that they uh, sensationalize the information in which is not to be feared, right? We need healthy responses to this scenario and uh, balanced information in order for us to make healthy, well-adjusted decisions about how we conduct ourselves during this time. So, I would highly recommend just reducing your mainstream media input, your conspiracy theory input. And look, I'll be the first to say, I have done plenty of my own research. I've gone down the rabbit hole and I've had my own sense of despair and depression about it all. But in that, that's when I realized that actually just reducing my consumption of any standpoint on any of this information is a good idea. Because the truth is, I, as me, just Maddie, I will never know the truth. And I think the truth is that all of these things, something on this scale of this global nature is full of thousands of complexities, agendas, and quote-unquote truths. And that probably everything that's out there has some degree of truth in it. And unfortunately, 
As much as we want to grab onto a one sentence or one concise bit of information to say, there, that's what it is. It's his fault. That's what's going on. I think the truth is that they're all shades of gray. And that makes it really difficult to interpret. And it makes it really hard to rationalize your feeling about the situation because humans naturally want to be conclusive. So, it's very hard to accept that this is all so complex that little old me can't do too much about it, but get on, you know, keyboard warrior fights on Facebook about it. So, that's why I wanted to chuck in number six so you can tune up your bullshitometer and just reduce the amount of crap about this whole debacle from entering into your bodily senses and your family and your kids, you know, just enjoy the relationship time, enjoy the bonding time and just look after one another by protecting yourselves from all the things I've mentioned. So, basically, in a nutshell, that's what a comorbidity is, as I mentioned earlier. And here's a, these, this is a bunch of ways you can reduce your comorbidities. So, I would love to hear you sharing in uh, social media. If you love this episode or got anything out of it, please share, screenshot this and share it on social media, put it up in your feed, put it in a story, tag me at Maddie Lansdowne. I would love to see who's watching and which of these five things you are implementing because now is the time. There's no better time like the present, which is actually a relevant statement right now, not just a cliche because we have time. All right, guys. I am going to roll and get on to the next thing. So, I love you as always. Um, I look forward to catch you on the Quit Sugar Summit. So, be sure to sign up for that. The link is down below and I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.